I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, some Sundays you just get lucky. (laughs) And you get an easy gospel to preach on. So here we go. Hate your mama, hate your daddy, love Jesus. (laughs) What's not to like about that? (laughs) I'm gonna take you on a little mountain trip today. We're going to go up to Valley Crucis. There's a couple of names that can get mixed up, so I'm just going to clarify ahead of time because Sally told me to do it. The first is Levi Solomon Ives. Yes, he was the second bishop of North Carolina. We'll get to that in a minute. The second person is William West Skiles who was a deacon, a monk. Okay. As you come into the parking lot of the Church of the Holy Cross in Valley Crucis, on the left, you will see a log cabin. It's not very large. It's called the Ives Cabin. And it's a museum of sorts. If you go in there, you'll find displays that trace the history of the Valley Crucis mission from its beginnings in 1844. Levi Solomon Ives was the Bishop of North Carolina from 1831 to 1853. You might write that down, it'll be on the exam. (laughs) Now, he was the second Bishop of the diocese, and the diocese at that time covered the entire state of North Carolina. It's interesting that you don't hear a lot about Bishop Ives when people talk about the history of the Episcopal Church and the Diocese of North Carolina. There may be a reason for that. We'll find out. I think, as I look back at his ministry and reading from history in the diocese, that his was a very successful tenure as bishop. There were many new churches, parishes started. There were a number of wonderful buildings that were consecrated. There were schools that were started, some even existing even today. St. Mary's in Raleigh, for one. Bishop Ives was a creative and enthusiastic bishop. He liked to travel his diocese. It took him about 10 years before he got up into the mountains. And indeed, when he got into the mountains, he fell in love with them. There was one particular spot that he found that was just beautiful. It was a valley, and there were two creeks coming together, like a cross. And he named it Valley Crucis, and the name has stuck to this day. And he thought, this is the place where we need to establish a mission outpost. This is the place. And with his enthusiasm was contagious. The diocese gave him the money, they got the land, they even added to the land that they got. And indeed, 
they developed a mission station. My interest in Bishop Ives comes from my tenure as the interim rector of Holy Cross in Valley Crucis. And though the building that I was in to celebrate every Sunday was built in 1928, so it's re recent, <laughs> it's on the same property where Bishop Ives developed his mission. And that cabin called the Ives Cabin is actually a part of the original cabin that Bishop Ives would occupy when he visited the mission station in Valley Crucis. The mission of Valley Crucis was going to be bold. It was going to be a school for children in the area and adults because mostly people could not read or write in the region. It was a desolate wilderness in many respects. Hardly few roads at all, just paths that had been followed, no doubt, by Native Americans first and then later early settlers. Just a cabin scattered here and there, very little commercial enterprise. Anyway, so there was going to be a school, but there was also going to be a seminary to prepare people for the ministry. Bishop Eyes was from New England. He thought, and this is a bold idea, that it would be a good idea for Southern men, only did men then, to become priests. And so they wanted to recruit people to do that. So they had a seminary, or are gonna have a seminary to do that. A parish church, of course, would be the spiritual center of everything that ever happened there. And a monastic religious order called the Order of the Holy Cross. And it was indeed started there. It was the first monastic order in the Anglican Communion after the Reformation. Among the people who came to Valley Crucis to join the new religious order and to study for ordination was a 37-year-old man from eastern North Carolina named William West Skiles. He came there with a fairly good education and with some wonderful experience. He had been the manager of several large sawmill operations. He knew a great deal about construction and he was an excellent farmer. And so he was a tremendous asset all at once when he came to that mission. He also was much older than the typical seminarian. They were mostly in their 20s. Bishop, I mean, uh, William West Giles was eventually ordained as a deacon in the Episcopal Church. Bishop Ives was very influenced by his seminary teacher, a man named John Henry Hobart, who was a priest who eventually became the Bishop of New York and one of the leaders in the early church in the Episcopal Church in this country. Bishop Hobart was very taken with a reform movement that had come out of England known as the Oxford Movement, came out of the University of Oxford. It started in the 1830s. The Oxford movement involved reforms 
and reinstatements of older Christian traditions of faith and theology. This movement of liturgical reform has often been labeled as Anglo-Catholic or high church practices. It's clear that Ives' organization at the Valley Crucis Mission was inspired by his Oxford movement enthusiasm. And while this enthusiasm was shared by many Anglicans in England and Episcopalians in the United States, lay and clergy, it also was viewed with great suspicion and criticism by many in the United States and England. And the skeptics and the critics felt that many of the liturgical reforms too closely resembled Roman Catholic worship and theology, and that was a big deal. This became an issue in the Diocese of North Carolina very early on. Regarding the mission activities of Valley Crucis, what in the world is going on up there? These men in cassocks going around, private confessions being heard. Bishop Ives found himself in the midst of great conflict with his own convention, and leaders, both lay and clergy, were very critical. Over several years, he fought this fight with them to the extent that finally his frustration decided for him, and he wasn't getting the results that he needed, that he was going to close the whole thing down. Fortunately, a number of young men had been trained for ministry, were ordained, and were out in the mission field in little churches. Just as an aside, one of them was named Barber, first rector of the church in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, which I happened to serve later also as an interim rector. So the footprint was pretty big and continued in any event. The mission was closed. The people were scattered. And there was much bitterness in the diocese. Eventually, Bishop Ives took leave, took a leave of absence and went to Europe with his wife. And while he was there, he wrote a letter back to the diocese of North Carolina and he resigned as bishop. After which, he went to visit the Pope, and he became a Roman Catholic. <laughs> Actually, he spent the rest of his life as an educator, a teacher, of some renown, and was very successful. He was in New York. But no doubt, that's why we don't hear much about him when we teach Episcopal history. I would say... He had a very successful tenure as a bishop of North Carolina. Many things were accomplished under him. His biographers in the Roman communion thought and said that this would be a fatal blow to the Episcopal Church. As it turned out, that was not the case. The diocese was very healthy. Parishes were strong. It did not cause a schism. I'm sure there were many dissatisfied people. That does happen in churches, I've heard. 
Nevertheless, the diocese was healthy. I think it was healthy because of the work that he had done. I think he gave us a great gift, and God worked through him to do that. All through all this chaos of the bishop leaving and all the others, there was one monk in the order of the Holy Cross who remained in Valley Crucis, practicing his vows of poverty and obedience. One monk, Brother William West Skiles, continued his ministry in the mountains, going through those paths to visit little parishes here and there on horseback, sometimes going 20, even 30 miles, sometimes even in that very bad and rough mountain winter weather, going to places like Wilkesboro, Linville, Jefferson, Boone, while in Valley Crucis, he started to school, teaching young children to read. He also provided Sunday school in all the places that he visited. Being very well acquainted with the ways of folk medicine, Brother Skiles was often called on to be what Bracicle was a doctor to people who had illness and were in distress. The man kept several cows and kept them healthy so that when a family was having particularly difficult times with food and nourishment, he would take the cow and leave it with them until the crisis was over, then bring the cow back, feed it, and have it prepared for the next family. This was Bishop, uh, I mean, Brother Skiles' ministry to the people in his charge. It did not escape the notice of the successor to Bishop Ives, the Right Reverend Thomas Atkinson was very impressed with Brother Ives' work. He visited Valley Crucis. He supported him. He even raised his stipend, which was $100 a year, to $150 a year. Here's a report from, Bishop, from Brother Skiles. That's a Freudian slip from the year 1859 of his work as a monk. Baptisms 11, Confirmations 5, Communicates 24, Contributions, Education Fund $5, Church Building Society $12.80, Offerings at Communion $6, Total $23.80. This is an annual report. I performed divine services in the following places. Laura Watauga, Valley Crucis, Linville, Easter Chapel, Elk Crossroads, Jefferson, New River. Once at Pisgah, once near Elizabethton, Tennessee, once in Statesville, and one Sunday in Wilkesboro, two Sundays at Gwen's Chapel. I commenced building a church on Lower Watauga last fall and hope by the blessings of God to complete it later. 
Much of what I know about William West Skiles comes from this little book called A Missionary Life at Valley Crucis. It was written in 1889 by Susan Finnemore Cooper, the daughter of James Finnemore Cooper, an author of sound renown. The church mentioned in his report was completed and consecrated in 1863. It took a long time. It cost $700. About a third of that $700 came from Brother Skiles. The name of that little mission is St. John the Baptist Episcopal Church. It is now a summer venue for the Church of the Holy Cross in Valley Crucis, located three miles away. Brother Skiles is buried in the churchyard. The parish hall at Holy Cross is named Skiles Hall. Jesus said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. William West Skiles did not follow his father in God, the bishop. He did not follow him in the heady matters of theology, denominations, and politics. He rather looked for opportunities to serve Jesus as he best understood what that might look like in the situation that he was in. He had taken a vow to serve and he lived the rest of his life in service, helping people with their tangible needs, helping them understand their relationship to God and teaching them about what it might mean to be a Christian. He mostly taught them by his own example of humble service. Obviously, I am using for you this morning the life and ministry of William West Skiles as an example of one person's effort to live in the Jesus call to commitment, carry the cross, and follow. So we all have a question, don't we? What stands between me and Jesus? What stands between me and the ability to carry a cross. We are dealing with issues here of eternal significance, issues that transcends familiar family love, transcends the quantifiable amounts of our checking account balance, and beyond all of our degrees and titles and accomplishments, Jesus is asking us to look beyond all that. He's challenging his friends in the gospel today in much the same way. He's certainly using a lot of hyperbole and hating people. But he is offering stark alternatives in either or language. But truly what he's getting at is here's how to live a life that's truly fulfilling and in concert with the purposes of God for God's people. Both Jesus and Moses this morning are talking about the same thing. They're challenging us to look at our priorities and follow. In the gospel, 
Jesus is essentially saying that he is creating a new family and we are a part of that family. The family is centered around his commandment of love as the defining characteristic of all meaningful relationships. Not filial love, family love, not eros, exotic love, erotic love. It is agape love, other regarding love, love that requires sacrifice. It's interesting that it would come up this week that I, I saw that Frederick Beekner had died. Many of you have read Frederick Beekner. I've been quoting Frederick Beekner for however long I've been doing what I'm doing. He has passed away. I want to leave you with some of his words. They are, pertain to what I've been talking about. They are from his book, Listen to Your Life. I quote, Inspection stickers used to have printed on the back, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. That is the wisdom of men in a nutshell. What God says, on the other hand, is the life you save is the life you lose. In other words, the life you clutch, hoard, guard, and play safe with is in the end a life worth little to anybody including yourself and only a life given away for love's sake is a life worth living to bring this point home God shows a man who gave his life away to the extent of dying a national disgrace without a penny in the bank or a friend to his name In terms of men's wisdom, he was a perfect fool. And anybody who thinks they can follow him without making something like the same kind of fool of him or herself is laboring not under a cross, but under a delusion. End of quote. This is hard work, dear friends. This is hard work. That's why we need each other to do it. Amen.